let's turn together on that sermon notes page tonight in the little handout that you should have uh, picked up on the way in this evening. On the front side there, you'll see some words uh, printed out, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14. Uh, a catechism is uh, just a, uh, it's an anglicized uh, Greek word that means a way of instruction that uses questions and answers, so an oral way of uh, discoursing, uh, what's called sometimes a Socratic method, asking questions uh, and getting answers. Uh, and it was written originally in uh, a city called Heidelberg, uh, today in Germany in those days in the 16th century would have been uh, in a region of uh, German-speaking lands called the Palatinate. So Heidelberg Catechism, a Christian uh, reformational Protestant uh, teach, a way of teaching the Christian faith, and we've been using uh, the questions and answers that are explaining to us the meaning of some basic truths of the Christian faith. So tonight let's look at questions and answers 35 and 36. Uh, and so we're jumping into the middle here. If you've, uh, if you've missed, that's fine, but we're jumping into the middle here uh, of the meaning of the words in the Apostles' Creed, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ. And so the question 35 asks us this, what does it mean that he, Jesus Christ, quote, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Let's say the answer. That the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers in all things except for sin. And then finally, question 36. Uh, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? And what's the answer? He is our mediator. And in God's sight, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin in which I was conceived. So these uh, beautiful words that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, these are words that have echoed down to us through the corridor of human history conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And we hear, there, we hear that uh, chorus of the church, both in heaven, those believers that have embraced the true faith and have gone to be with God, uh, as well as throughout the world today. The church has already met for worship, as well as the church that is and uh, will meet uh, here this evening uh, for worship. We hear the echo of the church in those words, that uh, we believe and we confess because of what God has said to us in his word, that Jesus, the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And we embrace that faith, and we believe that faith with the church, uh, as I mentioned, in heaven, as well as in all times and in all places. And we might say that these words are uh, very pregnant words, right? These are very pregnant words. Uh, they're very powerful words. They're very pastoral words. They speak to us of our great need. Uh, but there are also words that, like many words that we use, like many phrases that we use as Christians uh, in our Christian vocabulary, they are, these are uh, words, this is a phrase, or these are phrases uh, that we may have memorized, but sometimes we lose the sense of them because they become all too familiar. What phrases, what platitudes, what ideologies, what little uh, memorable sayings have you memorized? 
Maybe your grandmother or your grandfather gave you uh, some little pithy saying to live life. Uh, my grandpa always told me, Danny, uh, always buy low, sell high, and don't accept any wooden nickels. No one's ever heard that one, I guess? Okay. Buy low, sell high. You know that one, right? But don't accept any wooden nickels. And it's like, what does that even mean, right? Uh, don't take fake money, right? Don't take fake money. Uh, so what phrase, perhaps, have you memorized from your childhood? Uh, maybe, maybe a Christian slogan, maybe a Christian phrase, right? Uh, let go and let God. Right? We know that one. Sometimes people say that. Let go, uh, let God. In case of rapture, uh, vehicle will be uh, unmanned or unattended, right? Driver will no longer be here or something like that. Um, so lots of phrases, lots of memorable statements, perhaps, that, that we've learned. We want to maybe relearn or, or forget that we ever learned them in the first place. But we use words, of course, to express uh, beliefs. Uh, and the same thing with the Apostles' Creed and here the Catechism. They give to us words that help us to understand what it means to be a Christian. And here, in these words that we heard again, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, we learn this big idea of the Christian faith, that God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God has caused the Virgin Mary to conceive, or he caused the Virgin Mary to conceive, to meet our need. She conceived a son so that our need... Our spiritual need, our need of salvation, our need of forgiveness, our need of covering of our sins might be met. So God caused Mary to conceive to meet our need. And just briefly notice there the meaning of those, of those words. We'll look at some scriptures as well, uh, as well as their application. You know, what does it mean for us? Why is it so important for us? So first of all, the meaning of the words that Jesus, the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, these words uh, remind us, of course, of the Son of God, Jesus, uh, his divinity. The fact that he is God. Uh, that he is the eternal Son of God, as the, that answer says. And notice that little phrase, so amazing, uh, so wonderful to think of the incarnation, that the Son of God uh, came down in human flesh, the incarnation, who is and remains true and eternal God. Who is and remains true and eternal God. When the Son of God was conceived in Mary's womb, did he cease to be God? So, in the womb of the Virgin Mary was born her son, Jesus, who was also the Son of God, so amazingly. Right? That's what we call the, the, in, uh, the incarnation. God in human flesh. He is God. He was God from the beginning, from all of eternity. But he also remains God in the womb. And so, we can say that God was born. We can say that the Virgin Mary is the mother of God because she bore the Son of God in human flesh. He is and remains God, the Son of God, true everlasting God. So amazing, so wonderful. Great, a great mystery of the Christian faith. This is part of that, uh, that unspeakable mystery, part of that foolishness of the gospel, uh, that the, that the uh, the, the unregenerated mind, we might say the modern mind, just can't grasp, just won't accept miracles, the stupendous, the unexplainable, 
statements that don't make, quote, scientific sense. We believe that God was born in human flesh. Now, that also brings us to an objection. Uh, you know, I pick up kids from school every single, uh, almost every single day, uh, and uh, you probably see too that uh, there are uh, our friends, our neighbors uh, from the Kingdom Hall, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, if you would stop and talk to one of them at some point, you would ask them, you know, who is Jesus? And you get into a conversation about the identity of who Jesus Christ was and is. Uh, they will very clearly tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, did he claim to be God? How do you know that? Okay, the Bible tells me so. Sure, but where? Where did Jesus ever claim to be God? Ah, when the Pharisees wanted to kill him, right? So let's turn quickly uh, to one, te- one text that speaks to this idea that he is and he remains true and eternal God. Where does Jesus... Uh, speak of himself in divine terms. And we would say, of course, that the whole of the Old and New Testaments points us to this reality. But just one example, uh, John chapter 10, John chapter number 10, uh, Jesus is speaking uh, of being the shepherd of his sheep, the good shepherd, in fact. And he says many things there. Uh, one, of, one of them uh, is... Uh, in verse 25 when he says the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me you but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and notice this in verse number uh, 28 I give them eternal life they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand I and the father are one now, according to the Old Testament, who is the Savior? God the Father is the Savior? Only, only God the Father? Who is the Savior in the Old Testament? The Lord. The Lord. The Lord, the Lord is, both, uh, is all three, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Lord uh, is the Savior. In other words, God alone can save. But then here's Jesus speaking of giving eternal life. Uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament, of course, uh, is a good Jewish uh, man. He would have known this, that only God can give everlasting life. But then notice how he equates himself with God the Father, that, uh, that uh, no one can snatch his sheep out of his hand. The same, he says, no one can snatch the sheep out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, because of that, verse 31, notice this. So we, we talk to our Jehovah's Witnesses friends. We walk up, they're, they're sitting there. They have the little jw.org sign, the little literature rack. And you just want to get into a conversation with them and we want to talk to them and uh, we want to understand what they believe and we want them to understand what we believe and uh, we want them to come to know who Jesus is, right? Because everlasting life is in who Jesus is and him alone. The reaction of the first century Jews shows us that everything Jesus was saying about himself, giving everlasting life, being the shepherd, which the Bible in the Old Testament says is the Lord, uh, no one can snatch the sheep out of his hand, the Father's hand because they're one. All these sayings are, are Jesus saying he's God. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones, again, not the first time, to stone him. Why? What was stoning? It was for blasphemy. Leviticus 24. If you blaspheme God's name, if you cursed the name of God, 
You were liable to the death penalty and death by stoning. They would throw stones at you until you were knocked out, and they would just bury you, and you were dead. Stoning. They picked up stones once again to stone him because, we read, uh, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. But Jesus never claimed to be God, we're told. You, being a man, make yourself claim to be God. When you say, I give them everlasting life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the door, and so forth. When you say these things, you're making yourself out to be God. And so they very clearly believed that Jesus was claiming to be God. And so when we say, in the words of the Apostles' Creed and the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, that the, the eternal Son of God, who is and remains eternal God, uh, a true and eternal God, and so forth, we are saying this wonderful truth. This wonderful truth that Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is divine. He always has been. He always will be. And this God, Jesus, the Son of God, took to himself, we read. He took to himself, through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature. He took to himself a true human nature. So again, when the Son of God was conceived in the Virgin Mary's womb and when he was born and then he grows up and he becomes a toddler, he becomes a, a, a pri- like a primary student, he becomes a high school student, he becomes an adult. Did Jesus just temporarily, though, cease to be God so that he could be man for us? Not even just for a little bit? Not just for a time. Yeah, he veiled himself, right? He, he, he veils his divinity, in, in a sense. He doesn't, he doesn't change being God. He doesn't transform his being God into some kind of a hybrid thing. Is he half God, half man, a merger of both, and so forth? We think of, 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 of taking away, in human, way, in human terms, we, we think of taking away from us, from ourselves, giving up something as a humbling of ourselves. Giving up something is a humbling of ourselves, right? If we, if we, if I was to give up my wedding ring and I was to pawn it off for some reason, right? That would be like a humbling of myself. That would be giving up something. And I, in a sense, you know, it would be kind of a lessening of who I am. We think of giving up something, taking away something as humbling, but notice that it's Jesus by adding to himself, the Son of God by adding to himself, by taking to himself, that's his humiliation. So Philippians 2, when it talks about uh, being in the form of God, did not consider it uh, robbery uh, to be found uh, in the form of, in the likeness of a man. He, he adds to his divine nature 
uh, he adds to him this human nature, his, uh, uh, his divine person, that is. Uh, he adds to him this human nature. And it's by the ad- addition, by the addition that he humbles himself. He takes to himself. He doesn't, again, merge his divine nature with a human nature. No, he takes to himself a true human nature. And he does that by or through the working of the Holy Spirit. Remember that in the, in the gospel stories where the angel comes to the Virgin Mary and says that she's going to conceive. And she objects, or she at least poses the question, well, how can I conceive since I've not known a man? She was engaged, she was betrothed, what we call engaged. Uh, she was betrothed to be married to Joseph, but they had not yet come together. How can I conceive? What does the angel say? What does the angel say? You're going to conceive because it's not going to be by the means of man. It's going to be by the means of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Luke chapter 1. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And that which is born of you is going to be called the Holy One of God. And so it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that she conceives. And this notice he takes to himself by this working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. From the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. His human nature comes from his mother. He's born of woman, Galatians 4. Hebrews 2, he partakes of our human flesh and blood, right? He's like us. Oftentimes, of course, in, say, political seasons, you know, we... We talk about candidates, and we, you know, we weigh the pros and cons of, of a certain uh, candidate. And uh, you know, when they interview people, you know, why are you going to vote for him or her and this party or that party, this candidate, that candidate? A lot of times you'll hear uh, the answer is, you know, uh, he speaks for me, or she gets me. She understands you know, who I am, or he's been where I've been. I can trust him. He deserves or she deserves my vote, right? In the same way we, we see here, even more so, that the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, he takes upon himself a true human nature that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit through, uh, for, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary so that he would be just like us, a true human nature, except for sin. He's like you and me, in every single way. This is the great, again, the great mystery of the incarnation is that the Son of God, who is wholly other, who is not, is unlike us, yet at the same time, he is like us because he's also man. He's like us so much so that he's like us in every single point he's tempted, yet he has no sin. And the Old Testament scriptures not only said that the Lord was the Savior, that God alone can save, but also that there was going to be a Savior to come who was going to be like David. In other words, a true human. The prophecies of the Old Testament talk about this great king to come, this Davidic king who is going to be like his brothers, who is going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so he was conceived and he was born. He was conceived and he was born, that the Son of God would also be a man. Conceived and born, that the Son of God would also be a man, holy and perfect in his humanity, keeping all those Old Testament promises to be the Davidic king, 
to be our Savior. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He's perfect God. He's perfect man. He doesn't lessen his divinity. His humanity is not different from ours. He's not a superman. Uh, He's not anything different than what you and I are. The only difference is what? Sin. He's different from us because he's God. He's like us because he's man. Well, why does it matter? Why does it matter when we say these beautiful words, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? And so that question 36 says, well, what is the benefit of this? How does this benefit you? And so uh, we've seen this before. We'll see it again in the Heidelberg Catechism. It constantly answers questions, theological questions. And then it says, well, what's the benefit of this? How does this help you? How does this profit you? I had a professor in college who always told us uh, that uh, theology that does not become biography is wishful thinking. Theology, the words about God, if those words don't become biography, they don't become part of us, they don't affect us, those words about God, that theology is just wishful thinking, right? It's just pie in the sky. How does it benefit us? How does it help us? Why is it important for us to know who Jesus is? He is our mediator. He is our mediator. Kids, do you you guys know what a mediator is? A mediator? Can you give me an example of what a mediator looks like in our culture? Leon, when you're taking on some dude who's twice your size, is it just you and that guy in the ring? Who else is there? Yeah? Who's in charge of, uh, of every single match? It's like a ref, they call it a ref, right? It's like a referee or a judge. Okay? In basketball, we have referees. Baseball, we have umpires, Right? They're in charge. They, they mediate between two people. They, they keep them apart. Right? They, you got to play fair. You got to fight fair. You got to do all the things fair. You got to follow the rules. They, they, uh, there's, you, know, you, get, you lose points for, for breaking the rules, and you, you get points, and you keep the rules, and you play by the, by the rules, and so forth. So a mediator is someone who stands between two people. Now, in a, in a, in a greater sense, of course, a mediator uh, is more than just like a referee or an umpire. Uh, a mediator is one who stands between God and humanity. And God who's holy and we who are not. God is righteous, we who are not. And because of that, the Bible talks about there's, there's, a, there's a strife, there's an enmity, there's a hostility between God and us. That we are always fighting against God in our, in our sinfulness. And there's this battle that's going on between us and God. And the great thing is that God has come to reconcile us. God has come to reconcile us. God doesn't wait for us to come to him. God doesn't wait for us to go to the mediator and say, you know what, I've broken the rules. I violated your commands. I've sinned. No, God comes to us. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to the Virgin Mary She conceives in her womb. God stoops down through the Virgin Mary, enters into our world, grows up, lives, and dies for us, for you and me. He's our mediator. Why does it matter that he was conceived and that he was born in this way? Because he becomes our mediator. And again, the amazing reality of the Christian faith is that the mediator is both God and man. 
He can grab hold of God, in a sense, as human, grab hold of God and pull God down, in a sense, and as divine, he can grab down towards us in, on earth and grab us and lift us up to God and bring us together as mediator, face to face, and to reconcile us who are at war with each other, to reconcile us, to bring us together. He's our mediator. We need a mediator. We need one. And in God's sight, the answer says, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin in which I was conceived. Notice the difference. The Son of God was conceived in holiness, in perfection. When Jesus was conceived in the Virgin Mary's womb, there was no sin, correct? No sin, right? He's holy. The angel says that which is born of her is going to be holy, the Son of God. But you and I were conceived in sin. You and I were born sinners. And so in theological speak, we talk about having a sin nature. We don't, we don't just sin. We don't just commit sin, but we also are sinners, right? And so there's, that, there's always that great question, you know, are we, are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we're sinners? Right? We sin practically because we are by nature already sinners why does it matter because this is a way of saying that i find in jesus all that i need we come full circle in this wonderful answer full circle that you and i who can pray in the psalms in sin did my mother conceive me but we can say that jesus was conceived by the holy spirit born of the Virgin's Mary, uh, Virgin Mary, so that in the sight of God, as mediator, when he brings God down to me and me up to God, he covers me with his perfect innocence and perfect holiness so that I can stand before God, forgiven, covered, cleansed, and in every single way, righteous, so that God can look upon me and God can say, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. That's the gospel. This little phrase that we hear echoed down through time and in eternity in the Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is a part of the gospel, a part of the good news, that God in Jesus Christ covers you and me in his perfection so that we can come to God who is perfect and be acceptable to him. Let's give him thanks. Let's respond together in prayer as uh, we pray together on that order of service sheets. Loved ones, the Lord be with you. <clears throat> and let us pray, saying, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, we do come to you tonight. We bless you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he is our life and he is our forgiveness. He is the covering of our sins. He is our righteousness uh, he's all that we need to stand before you, a holy and righteous and perfect God. And in Jesus Christ, we have it all. We thank you, we bless you, we praise you for the gospel, the good news that comes to us, such sinners. And we pray, Lord, as we even heard this morning, that you would uh, empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who know this gospel, we who are covered in God's sight with the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ, Lord, equip us to share that good news 
uh, with someone in need this very day, this very week. As we think about the Holy Week upon us, we think about the the week in which we, we meditate upon the passion, the suffering of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would have mercy upon our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, our family members, our co-workers, our classmates, all that we know. Help us to love them. Help us to care for them, to pray for them. Uh, Lord, to serve them. And as Jesus even says, to bend over backwards, Lord, uh, for the world, so that we might come uh, uh, with them to your presence, to pray, to sing, and to be accepted. We ask that you would bless, Lord, uh, all of our invitations this week to our friends and loved ones. We seek to bring them to uh, worship you on Good Friday and Easter Sunday coming up. Lord, many people come out of custom and superstition even. Many people come just because that's what people do certain seasons of the year. We pray that you would even, uh, in those situations, Lord, uh, use the gospel Uh, Use that opportunity uh, to save sinners. And we ask, Lord, uh, for your help. Help us to be calm. Help us to be uh, uh, full of love. Help us to speak clearly the good news. And Lord, may your power grant success to our invitations. And so we pray that you would bring the lost to you. Save the world. Use us in that uh, great endeavor until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We ask all in his name.